Hello and welcome to this Euractiv and CPOPC event on the e-regulation on the deforestation-free products regulation. Now, we know the regulation entered into force on the 29th of June this year. And the main driver of this regulation, the motivating force, is the production of commodities like soy, beef, palm oil, wood, cocoa, coffee and rubber, and some of the other derivatives of those products. Now, this, of course, can have a big knock-on effect for smallholders. And today we're asking about the implications for smallholders. One of the efforts under the regulation is to find that any operator or trader who places those sorts of products on the EU market can show that they don't contribute to aggressive deforestation or forest degradation. So my name is Jennifer Baker. I am going to be your moderator today, putting your questions to our excellent panelists. But I do hope you will also get involved. You can use the tool Slido. Simply go to slido.com on your smartphone or on your browser or scan the QR code that you can see there on the screen so that you can get involved. We will leave that open. I'll be receiving your questions throughout the debate and we will put as many of those as possible in the time allowed to our speakers. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to those we have joining us today. We have Astrid Ladforged, who is head of unit in charge of deforestation at the European Commission. Thank you very much, Astrid, for joining us. Dr. Moust Khalifa Mahmoud is Deputy Minister for Food and Agribusiness, Coordinating Ministry for Economic Affairs of the Republic of Indonesia. Thank you so much. And we have also joining us remotely Dato Zaidi bin Mohammed Karli, Secretary General from the Ministry of Plantation and Commodities of Malaysia online. We will be able to see you on our screens. And we have Geert van der Biel, Senior EU Policy Advisor from Solidaridad. And last but not least, also joining us on the panel today, Dr. Rizal Afandi Lukman, Secretary General of CPOPC. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Let me start, uh, Astrid, with you. Uh, tell us about the state of play. We've just had this entering into force. What was the thinking of the Commission? What are the aims? Set out the stage for us. Thank you so much, Jennifer, and uh, good afternoon to everybody. Uh, and I'm, I'm honoured to be on this panel together with other distinguished speakers. I think that um, while I will do, what I will do very, very quickly is to just give uh, a couple of information of, of general interest, I think, on where we are. Because as you already said, Jennifer, this has already entered into force. But what everybody are now looking into is when some of the real requirements enter into application towards the end of 2024. So we are now working basically on trying to see how can we make this entry into application the smoothest as possible. And that means that, for example, we are receiving a lot of questions from stakeholders, from companies, from governments. We are taking those questions and then you will see on our web page, we have something called frequently asked questions where you can find the replies to many of the questions. We are working on updating those regularly. So we are surely also going to receive questions today. And this is a process that will continue, uh, be continued all the time to be sure that we get more and more deep into replying to the questions of concern. Um, we are also working on other issues. Uh, notably, we will issue some guidelines. Um, I think many of the other things we are working on, also cooperation uh, programs that will facilitate and help uh, implement this or make this happen on the ground. 
we, we will not be discussing in detail that today, but what we, we came to discuss very detailed today is the very valid concern about how do we ensure that the smallholders are kept in the supply chains. And, and this is something that we, we were working on uh, already in the preparation for the proposal. This was an issue that regularly came up. This is something in the inter-institutional process and the negotiation that led to the proposal also was raised as a very, very important issue and concern. Hence, you will see a number of references to smallholders across the regulation text. We, from the Commission side now, um, would like to deepen our dialogue on the smallholders under what is called the multi-stakeholder platform for deforestation. We will be zooming in. Uh, we started already doing that, but we will do that even further. Uh, to other utilization, including for plantation. So through since 2011, so in this EUDR, actually for our plantation, it's not deforestation again, because we also uh, uh, prove through our Indonesia Sustainable Palm Oil, which include 
that all the plantation that already accept Indonesia sustainable palm oil, no deforestation at all. Because we ask very strictly as uh, the top requirement for our Indonesia sustainable palm oil. So in this term, they, we thought this is very important for us because we have already existing plantation, 16.38 million hectares lies in the all remote, not all, uh, many remote area in the country. 7% of our land utilization are for palm oil plantation. 60% of our land are forest. So we don't want to disturb our remaining forest because uh, our smallholder needs to expand their plantation. They need to expand to increase their, their product because they will lose some tradable, uh, uh, their tradable uh, uh, product for palm oil because all their this requirement. That's why we are as government here, we would like to uh, do communicate what tool, traceability tools that we will develop in our country to suit with the requirement who will responsible to accept all the tradable to, to EU. So that's why we, we came here to communicate how we can make solution together, uh, mutual benefit and mutual acceptable from EU regulation, EUDR regulation, and what can provide to, to meet that we have, uh, we can uh, mitigate all the impact to our smallholders. Thank you. We will definitely come on to these questions of equivalence and where that might lie and also about the, the burden of red tape to smallholders. But let me turn uh, now, thank you, to our online speaker, to Dato Zaidi. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, let me ask you to give us the perspective from Malaysia. Are you agreeing with what you hear from your colleagues here on the panel? Uh, thank you, Jennifer. But I, I, to be honest with you, I just joined. Uh, there's a technical glitch here, so I, I didn't know what is actually, you know, uh, from the beginning that you were saying just now. So I, I didn't get you anything, see, just uh, for one or two minutes just now. What's your perspective um, on this regulation from Malaysia? How important is it? Is it having an impact on smallholders there? Are you looking ahead to enforcement? Set us out the landscape as you view it. Okay, thank you for the question. So in fact, yes, we, we look at this, uh, what we call the EUDR. It is uh, uh, very, very, uh, I would say, um, uh, very challenging for us, especially with regard to um, regulations, the implementations and also the reasoning behind that. So that is why uh, I think for Malaysia, we look at this EUDR very seriously because we do not want um, anybody uh, being left out, especially for the smallholders, uh, which is very, very important part of uh, our agenda uh, in Malaysia. I, I think that's uh, all for my initial remarks, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Um, Hyot, uh, tell us how you're reflecting on this from uh, your perspective. Yeah, thank you. Um, I work for Solidaridad. Uh, we are an international development organization working in around 40 countries across the globe in 
all sectors involved in EUDR apart from uh, wood. So we work in coffee, uh, cocoa, palm oil, um, soy, uh, but also beef and, and leather and rubber. Um, and I think it's important to first of all take a, a short step back. What is this actually about? And, and a lot of discussion now is on the nitty-gritty of, of the regulations on the articles and how can we comply best at the cheapest way. But I think in the end the importance is to ensure that meeting the requirements of EUDR will contribute to the broader objective, which is in the end reducing deforestation. And reducing deforestation requires promoting sustainable agriculture. I was in, in Peru two weeks ago where we um, presented uh, a research on what the impact of EUDR is likely to be for the coffee and cocoa sectors in Peru. <coughs> and I think one of the representatives of the coffee sector rightly said, if we want to reduce deforestation, we should work with farmers on increasing productivity and to ensure that they can produce sustainable. And I think in the end that is what is needed and that can be built into what companies uh, and also governments should do around the UDR, but it does require, I would say, a, a bit of a broader perspective. So that's first. And if we look at, at different countries around the globe, there are certainly concerns that smallholders will be left out. But if done right, I think the regulation can contribute towards inclusion of smallholders and also towards a better future of smallholders. But that does require also additional measures, uh, until two years ago there was a lot of talk about a smart mix of measures so that we should need the regulation but also accompanying measures. Mm -hmm. And I think we should focus more on those accompanying measures that will first of all require cooperation, cooperation between the European Union, the member states and producing countries but also with the private sectors and, and NGOs like us and I think it's good to focus on the different countries, what should be the agenda there and what kind of cooperation is needed there. And I think that's also very, uh, I'm also very happy that we have the representatives here from Indonesia and Malaysia and also that the European Commission is working with those countries on a joint task force. And I think that can be an example uh, of what is really needed and to work on, on, let's say, equal base on a joint agenda because in the end we need to have a joint agenda to focus on sustainable agriculture and not only focus on meeting the requirements. Not saying that the requirements should not be met, but of course that needs to be done. Um, Rizal, coming to you and your perspective from the Council of Palm Oil Producing Countries, smallholders make up a huge segment there. Tell us about it uh, from your view. What do you think is good in this regulation? What do you think might be uh, a, a challenge? Yes, uh, looking at the much more broadened perspective, I think uh, the government of Indonesia as well as uh, Malaysia have committed in addressing the climate change issue, uh, also combating the deforestation, as well as also on uh, keep the biodiversity of the forest. So I think no doubt, which is essentially is aligned with the objective of having the EUDR. So I think there's no doubt. Uh, but the thing is, when the EUDR in the implementation, there will be some risk that if all players are the same capability, 
are the same position, that will be no problem. When the CPOPC secretariat uh, talk to the industry, the big industry, they ready for fulfilling and complying with the UDR requirement. But not the case for the smallholders. So, so that's why the smallholders is the weakest part of the supply chains at the supply side, at the supply uh, producing countries. But uh, we need to work together between the supply chain in the producing countries with the supply chains in the uh, consuming countries. In this case, I think the establishment of the joint task force that composed of the producing countries, Indonesia, Malaysia, together with the uh, uh, EU uh, at this joint task force, can seek the solution how to connect the supply chains rising from the producing countries, including the smallholders, to meet the compliance of the EUDR. Until shipping until the at the entry point of the European uh, market. So I think the CPOPC really uh, supporting and facilitating for the ongoing discussion under the joint task force between the producing countries represented by Indonesia and Malaysia together with the European Commission to address the smallholders, to address on the small on the traceability issue to address on some of the things that uh, it might have uh, some risk uh, to the supply disruption. Uh, in particular, in the beginning of January 2025. So the interest of industry in the consuming countries will be also there. The supply side, the smallholders in the producing country also will be seek the solution. So I think we are in the situation to seek the solution. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are very solutions focused here on, on our discussion. Um, Astrid, I'm going to come to you because I see already one question from our audience on Slido that I was going to ask you anyway, which is what kind of guidelines will the Commission be issuing? And I'm interested also to hear about some of these accompanying measures that Geert mentioned. What's, the, what's going to be there to aid uh, smallholders or businesses in general in compliance? Yeah, thank you very much for that question. Indeed, I think that's um, something that is interesting for everybody. So uh, the regulation requires the commission to specifically set guidelines out on the definition of agricultural use. So this is one of the things that we are looking into. Um, however, what we have also found is that it it would be helpful, we can see from many of the questions we are receiving, to have more clarity about what some of you may be called accompanying measures or flanking measures or support measures, various tools that are out there, such as certification schemes, for example, that the, as the regulation clearly says, could play a role. It's not an obligation to use a certification scheme, so a company that wants to put deforestation-free products on the EU market is not obliged to get these products certified. That is uh, on purpose left open in the regulation, the choice for that company, because for some it will make sense, for others it will make not make sense. 
Um, so that is, is fully left to the operator, but we think it would be useful to go maybe a little more into detail and looking because we are aware that there is a lot of work going on both public and private certification schemes also at national level in, in producing countries. So we would like to give some uh, guidance on that. Um, I think that's amongst um, the tools. Then when it comes to some of these other accompanying measures, again, we quickly go into, and, and I like a lot what Gerd said about taking the broader perspective. Because of course, we're not coming in and reinventing agricultural supply chains. Work has been going on for decades and col collaborations between the EU, the EU's member states, many of the producing countries. A lot of good work have uh, been taking place already and somehow this regulation sits itself into this broader context of how does one ensure that the future has sustainable agricultural supply chains that are inclusive. And I, and I think it's important sometimes to take that step back instead of only indeed focusing on, on uh, what is carved out in, in the regulation here. Thank you. Um, Mus Halifa, you mentioned the red tape, the sorts of uh, issues that smallholders will face in, in being able to place their products on the European market. I'm going to take just another question I see online from Robert Francis asking if I'm a smallholder what do I need to be compliant? What are the practical difficulties? Can you outline for us what you see as the practical difficulties and what is the state of readiness? Are smallholders prepared for this? Yep, thank you. Uh, the first thing, uh, one is uh, because our smallholders, they are only has the basic school, so their knowledge is very limited. So to uh, uh, improve the skills and the knowledge of the, it's, it needs a lot of things to do with, uh, to, to uh, help them to, to increase their knowledge. Why we do, we have to do this, why we have to uh, um, uh, fill in all the document that they had to have. And then they are lies on very a lot uh, in remote area in our country, which is very weak with the uh, infrastructure and everything. And if we are, if they will would like to comply with the UDR, it means that they we need to uh, put all the data, all the information into uh, into the what we will develop nowadays is we will develop a kind of clearing house to accommodate because uh, in the field a lot of uh, uh, stakeholders like Solidaridad and many others. Uh, 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 body yeah, uh, and also institution help the smallholders to have all the to have a better knowledge that why they have to implement a kind of the sustainability uh, a manner good agriculture pra practicing has to implement in their plantation and why they have to keep the forest around them and then why then they need to 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 notable all the product that, that they produce, if they sell it to the uh, uh, middleman, something like that, they have to not, not make a note and then, uh, and then everything because we need traceable in their product. So industry also sometimes, uh, that is many kind of the, uh, to have our smallholder. 
including partnership between industry and smallholders. It's already uh, have implemented in the field, and and now at the end we are now being developing a, uh, the name clearinghouse. All the information about all the product which will go for uh, to the global trade, we put it all the data information in the clearinghouse. In this term, for the palm oil, we develop uh, we uh, mandatory implemented uh, name uh, Indonesia Sustainable Palm Oil for the business player and also for the smallholder. For the smallholder, uh, facilitated by the government or other institution, like uh, some uh, donors also help our smallholder uh, uh, from the uh, local people also help. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, implemented to uh, supervise to have our small horror happen in the country and all of them will go to the uh, uh, our clearinghouse to to make our small holder can not in exclusive uh, for the for in uh, in the in the tradable to the global especially for the other commodity that, that we also try to 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 the global like rubber we are the second producer in the world and we also produce cocoa cocoa maybe around of the fifth in the in the in the global we trade our cocoa to export and also we have coffee we are number 7 in the in the in the market in the share our share in the market uh, global market so those are mostly from coming from smallholders and we why it's very important for us to communicate or how we can uh, our smallholder can comply to the UDR because they are uh, spread in near like I mentioned before they are nearby the forest they are the one the one that we have to convince them do not go to the forest they can uh, how to say they can la, uh, depend on their existing uh, plantation in palm oil our, we have the uh, palm oil fund can will help the we help the smallholder through do replanting before they maybe uh, they, their production on only two uh, two ton per hectare and then after they do uh, replanting uh, we hope that they can earn more than four or two twice or three times from what they have nowadays and then through this uh, replanting that uh, uh, help to them we hope that they also can do all the sustainability manner follow the indonesia sustainable palm oil that's why we asking all our stakeholder who can help our smallholder let's work together uh, partnership from business party to smallholder also we encourage them to work together and also from the others provider like uh, NGO and others to help the smallholder how they can comply they can increase their in their income they can go to school uh, they can have a good health because of the increasing of their productivity that's why why we need to talk with UDR we don't want the the positive uh, objection from the EUDR can give impact uh, become uh, disturb what we 
we need to what we already uh, doing high effort to help our smallholder because they need to do something else they, they need to, to do to go to the technology that we will uh, develop because they need to 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 comply what with all the requirement that we have been it's have been there so maybe yeah sorry Astrid you wanted to jump in no, it, it was just to clarify for, for, for those who don't know the regulation uh, in the audience as well. I mean, because I think sometimes there's a lot of confusion about what is it, who who has to do what. Mm -hmm. And at, at the end of the day, there are no obligations and requirements put on a smallholder who's selling to somebody else in a country outside the EU. It is, the, in many cases, then also a big company that is putting something on the EU market who has to have know where that came from. And that means that if that company is sourcing from 10,000 smallholders, they need to be in contact with them and know where the, it came from. In my discussions with many companies, but also with many smallholders, the smallholders also tells us, we know where we grow our food. We know where we grow our crops. We have that information, and that information also doesn't change over time. A plot of land is a plot of land, and it's the same plot of land year after year. But those data have to be put into a format that the operator, the, often the big company, mm -hmm. will then need to upload so there is indeed a lot of responsibility to ensure that the big companies are also helping, facilitating that this data is collected in a good way. Yeah. Can I add on that in, in, in a few words? I think it is indeed also important to realize that yeah, we talk about one category of smallholders, but that's hundreds of millions of families with a huge diversity. What is specific for, for palm oil is that 60% of production in palm oil is from plantations, 40% is from smallholders, with again a large diversity. But palm oil is the sector where you have, let's say, overall both. But in rubber, coffee and cocoa, almost all production, uh, between 70 and 90%, comes from smallholders. But again, with a huge diversity, and indeed Astrid is right in saying that requirements are first of all there for the companies that put the products on the European market. But uh, in Thailand, the EU delegation did a study on, or Lendl Mills did a study for the EU delegation on what the consequences could be for rubber and palm oil in Thailand. And what they warned or concluded is that looking at the diversity of smallholders, there is a risk that if you want to or need to trace it, and you need to prove that it's legal, that the sourcing will focus more on the well-organized smallholders, on the smallholders that are not that remote, um, and, and that, let's say, the most vulnerable that are not that well-organized and are in the more remote areas, will drop off from the European market. And I think that should be a joint uh, responsibility also for the companies Unfortunately, the legislation only says that companies could support smallholders. Um, 
So that means that they also could not do it. Um, but it should be a joint responsibility, I think, for the European Commission, member states, uh, and companies, plus uh, us as NGOs, to ensure that smallholders remain uh, included in the supply chains uh, um, supplying to Europe, or at least that we help them in improving their production and maybe even export to another country, because in the end, that's up to them to uh, decide where they sell or export. Uh, thank you. Yes, uh, given the wide range of uh, smallholders in the developing countries, in the producing countries, meaning that uh, that include also like uh, the plasma smallholders, the independent, so that uh, is the most uh, vulnerable uh, type of uh, smallholders, which is independent smallholders. So we need to allocate our attention, we need to allocate uh, our resources to make uh, they will be uh, eligible part of the supply chains to meet the UDR. So it is not the matter of they cannot comply, it is a matter of time. I think given the UDR uh, probation, uh, the SMEs uh, within the EU uh, countries uh, will be given until June 2025. So I think it will be fair enough uh, for the smallholders in the producing countries will be also given this uh, time frame to give more time to able the smallholders in the producing countries in complying to prove with the land legality, with the information for the cut-off date, as well as uh, for the geolocation information, which is currently they are working in the uh, paper base, not in the digital base. We need sometimes to be digitize all this kind of work. So. I think uh, the, uh, if European Commission can also give uh, this time frame for the smallholders at the producing countries until June 2025, it will be fair enough. Thank you. Thank you, Isal. Let me turn again online to Dato Zaidi. Um, what is the state of readiness or the level of readiness in Malaysia? You've heard our colleagues here talking about the need to support smallholders. Tell me about what you see happening on the ground? Well, thank you. Um, I, I, I certainly concur with the um, um, our representative from Solidaridad just now, you know, when you mentioned about the, uh, when we talk about smallholders, it's, it's too, uh, the variation is huge, you know, I mean, from you mentioned about the independent smallholder, you mentioned about organized smallholder, it is very different kind of thing. So I think for Malaysia in that case, I think I also concur with um, our result um, just now mentioned about, yes, the most difficult part is basically to, uh, uh, what I call it, to help the independent smallholder, which is going to be very difficult. And in Malaysia, of course, um, we do help them. You know, we give them awareness. We provide them with the uh, technical, uh, you know, we provide with, you know, support, uh, be it from the government and also from the industry. But this another one year to go, I think is not going to be enough. Like Pat Rizal mentioned just now, I think we need, I mean, EU need to hear from us 
the reality on the ground that we need extra time, especially for smallholders. I'm not talking about the big, big company or big plantations and so on. They are very much ready. I, I, I don't think they have any problem with that to comply with the UDL and so on. But we have to bear in mind the smallholders, you know, uh, we need to take care of this group. We cannot just leave it, you know, leave it like that and just, okay, forget about that. We move on. We cannot. That is our, uh, our sincere um, hope that if EU can, you know, consider our, what they call it, our request, as Parizal mentioned just now, the time, the implementation, and up to now, we don't know what is actually the real guidelines, you see. So what do we, you know, what is, <laughs> we are not really sure. So that is why, uh, for me, sincere dialogues in a transparent, in, in, in a transparent manner between, you know, uh, trilogue, for instance, Malaysia, Indonesia, and EU, we need to sit down and really understand what is there on the ground. So we are not talking about paper and so on, but we really need to go down and see by, you know, <laughs> by yourself. And then you will know the magnitude of issues that we are facing on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mustalifa, let me ask a follow-up question because it was uh, while you were speaking, Martis Brugnik is asking, how is the testing of the information system going to be organized? And there's a lot of questions about how producing countries envisage a traceability system necessary to enforce compliance. Will there be national uniform systems or will the economic operators have to set up their own systems? Will they have the freedom to set up their own systems? Henrik Paul Mersman's asking that. Tell us a bit about the digital, the IT system behind what we're at, yeah. what you're talking about, the clearinghouse. So uh, nowadays, uh, the, I think IT system in the global is already there. The technology is already there. Now we are work with all our uh, stakeholders who has its its uh, knowledge to develop a kind of clearinghouse. That is, uh, we would like to put. Uh, all the information of about our product who we are a threat to, to EU is coming from this information. We are now beginning to uh, uh, develop the system how from the timber, the, because timber legality there has already their own system and uh, because they already, uh, apa, the, the, the country already 12 years implement SPLK, FLECTI, PPA, so uh, we link with those information because we assure that all the information needs to for uh, EUDR is already uh, uh, implemented. They already have all those the information. And other uh, commodity like uh, uh, for palm oil also, we, we would like to the mostly link with the, the Indonesia sustainable palm oil because that is the system we are now always improve to accommodate all the the, the requirement, all the sustainability manner needs in the global market. So that's why now uh, on the, uh, pre, under president regulation, we asking to revising it to accommodate. That's why also we come here to, to hear 
what is the suggestion, what is our weakness, and what kind of that we can put, we can implement in the country through one system, one scheme, because we don't want our smallholder confused. So many uh, a scheme, so many, how, how many documents that how I have to fill in. That's why through one scheme, one Indonesia sustainable palm oil, we asking all smallholder to also mandatory that they, they have to implement. And in this time, we are being revised our, uh, by president regulation, we revised to accommodate all the, the additional information needs to trade to the, to the global market. Because uh, we would like to assurance to the global that uh, our, uh, our uh, plantation, palm oil plantation Indonesia has already implemented since 2011 Indonesia sustainable palm oil. The thing that they talk, that they, they, they suggest that they criticize us is or we have already improved in 2020 before we are do communication with all state, consumer country. Why you still dub on our Indonesia sustainable palm oil? And after that, we already revised. And after, after we talk again, we need to improve again. Now we are being improved because we need to assurance not only on the raw material of the palm oil until end product, uh, uh, also until the, the port and anything that we need to, to accommodate in our system. And for other product like uh, uh, rubber, cocoa, uh, and also coffee, uh, we, they have their own characteristic and now we, we are being uh, work again to all the stakeholders in those uh, uh, commodity to know how, how we can comply with the, all the requirement in the global market. And then maybe we cannot left behind the technology for the digital already uh, there. Now we are being uh, working with all the, 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 the experts on this IT system, I hope that we can, uh, uh, we can uh, how to say, finalize later. But I'm sure, like what Pak Rijal mentioned, developing this kind of technology, acceptance for the smallholder with the new technology, digital technology uh, like this is not easy. We need time to, 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 to comply to all our uh, uh, remote area located for all our plantation. So we need time to develop this kind of infrastructure. Kirt, I'd like to ask you, because you mentioned how different and disparate the stakeholders and the small shareholders are, <coughs> is there any sense of a best practice for cooperation between smallholders? that is separate from, if you like, a national centralized sort of uh, collaboration, but yeah, well, also else, in, yeah. in palm oil, there are companies that, yeah, in plasma systems or other systems work very closely with, uh, with smallholders and indeed support them. Uh, but indeed the, the, the concern and the difficulty is for the more independent ones mm -hmm. that will be very difficult to reach with uh, all kind of IT systems. Eh? You, you, you should realize that some of the palm oil farmers, they put their palm oil fruits across the, the streets and then so a, a trader with a motorcycle comes there, 
picks it up and then sells it to another trader and that one sells it to another trader and then it's collected in a, uh, in, in a van and then brought to the mill. Yeah, to then have traceability for those kind of farmers, yeah, that is really complicated. And the same is for, for rubbers. Rubber in Indonesia changes hands between five and six times on average between the farmer and the mill. Yeah, then it's really difficult to set up a traceability system. But there are companies working on that and, and it can also be profiting smallholders because if you take out the middlemen and, um, and buy more directly from farmers and support them in improvement, that can also be in the interest of smallholders. So yes, it can be done. Um, um, but that does require indeed cooperation uh, uh, and partnership. But that's for the traceability part. The other part is where companies often see risks in buying from, let's say, the less organized smallholders. It's the legal compliance part. Mm -hmm. uh, the requirements say you need to trace it and prove it's not uh, from recently deforestated area. But you also need to show that it's legal compliant. And that's not only deforestation laws, but also labor laws, human rights, uh, tax, anti-corruption. Some of the companies see a risk in buying from smallholders because yeah, proving legal compliance can be more complicated there. And, and the research that we did in Peru, for instance, showed that traceability is complicated, but the real risk there is the legal compliance part, because a lot of the smallholders don't have title deeds and are formerly farming in areas that on the map are nature. It has been deforested long ago, but yeah, then there's also the question, what, and, and I think that also comes back to, to the guidance that is and guidelines that are really important, to be really clear on what legal compliance will mean in the different countries. And also in, in, in countries in Indonesia, I think such a clearinghouse and maybe also ISPO systems can help to uh, uh, support smallholders improving legal compliance. But I think that is something that can only be done in the country. And I think that's also something for the European Commission to realize that it's really important to look per country what is really needed for legal compliance, which laws are we talking about, and to have a system to support companies to avoid that uh, they see smallholders as a risk in legal compliance. So I think there is also something that needs to be worked on in the very, very near future. Astrid, I'm going to come back to you because I know there's a lot to unpack already from what's been said. And the issue of traceability is a thorny and complicated one. Uh, I see one question from Michael Topp saying supply chains of chemical derivatives from palm oil, for example, is quite complicated. For example, how do you track from tree to shampoo bottle? You know, this is, a, is, is massively complex. What sort of advice is the Commission giving on traceability? How are you supporting the industry and the countries in this? Thank you. I mean, I like to say that, yeah, anything you can, you can argue is complex and complicated and you can ask lots of questions, but you would also just say, as I want to come back to, a palm oil crop has been grown somewhere and if you are going to put it on the EU market, you need to know where it grew. And if you want to have a high quality product, you also better have a supply chain where if there is a problem with your product, 
you will actually be able to go back and, and see where it came from. So, so I think that one should also take care to not say that it's, it's too complex, it's impossible, because the, simply knowing the place where something grew, I think it's not fair to say it's complex. But I agree very much with what um, he had also said, what our, my Indonesian and Malaysian colleagues are saying, that things are complex on the ground. There are vulnerable groups, supply chains are not always transparent. So our job is to try to see how can we, by putting the regulation into the world, a lot of the smallholders have come to us and say, thank you for putting this. We actually think this will help put some light into very intransparent supply chains. And that may even give us a better price linked to, to uh, cutting out the middleman, linked to, to various structures. But of course, this also needs to be facilitated and helped. And, and this is also one of the reasons why um, not only are we discussing this, as I said, in our multi-stakeholder platform, where, where uh, all third countries who want to join can, can participate, but we have also set up indeed this specific task force with Indonesia and Malaysia. We, we have already started meeting and we will definitely be looking much more carefully um, at this topic. Because I think that there's still some misunderstandings. If a smallholder, a very small independent smallholder who only writes something on paper, is he also the person who's putting this mm. commodity directly on the EU market? I'm not, I'm not sure he not is. He himself, so, but he may sell to companies that do. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. but the obligation does not fall on him to fill in the due diligence statement. That obligation falls on the company that will be going to the EU market. And I think this is very important because it may be that um, there are places where there's very um, limited access uh, to, to great technologies and so forth, but when you're entering and putting the commodity on the EU market, that already requires um, a different scope. So, so I think that if you, if you look at it like that, I think also what we're seeing is that many companies, many big companies are also saying that they have already been working closely with smallholders for many years, in particular in, in the palm oil sector, uh, because they wanted to know how things are being done, where the crops come from, what is the quality, etc. And these companies are the ones that will be obliged to get the information from the smallholder, and they are the ones who are obliged and required to put it into the EU system. So it's the EU information system it will be put into. Um, just as a follow-up, Astrid, a bit of pushback on that from some of our online audience, um, or possibly in the room. Benjamin Gunenberg is saying, although most people do indeed support the objectives of the EUDR, anecdotal evidence shows that smallholders are being dropped by suppliers as they prepare for compliance. How do we get around that if we see you know, widespread dropping of smallholders? How do we put the onus back on those big businesses, those intermediary middlemen, to not do that, to support the smallholders and to also comply at the same time? 
I would like your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I think, I mean, and it's also we're discussing here, it becomes very black and white because, of course, as many different smallholders as there are, as many different situations we, we can imagine, and, and, and um, we will see also that, that uh, some big companies have already, as I said, been engaging in this for years and are very aware of this issue. And they also have as part of their broader sustainability policies to actually include smallholders. Because excluding smallholders from supply chains is not something just related to deforestation. Inclusive supply chains is something that go way beyond the deforestation issues. It is about the, the also the informal economy. I appreciate the example giving. If, if a, a person comes with a crop of unknown origin and sell it on and sell it on and sell it on, of course, it is about, at the end of the day, where the commodities come from, were they legally produced? And these are the kind of things where we need to find solutions to, to ensure we include everybody while we stay within uh, the aims of what we set out to do. Can I add on yes, that? Of course you can. <laughs> now, I, I think in some sectors, companies felt also sometimes quite confident in not knowing where the product came from, because then they can also not be responsible for how it's being produced. So I think as such, increased traceability and knowing where the products come from I really do think that this can be an important asset and an important positive uh, consequence of, of this regulation. And I think that is a step forward. Um, and, and yes, uh, uh, it is complex. It is about 85 billion imports in Europe per year. So that is massive. And that's only the imports. It's also about products in Europe, by the way. Um, um, but I really... And, and that's where I started, and there I really want to support Astrid. I think in the end it is important to make sure that this is embedded in a broader sustainability move. And, and I hear some companies in the coffee sector say, well, maybe it will be complicated to buy from smallholders in some countries in Africa, and we should better and easier buy in, in Brazil and Vietnam. But yeah, how does that relate to the long-term perspective of the coffee sector that needs diversified supply from different countries? And how does that relate to the sustainability objectives that these companies also have? So I think if we put it in a broader perspective, both by the private and by the public uh, sector, I do think that this can contribute towards change for, for, uh, uh, in, in a good direction. Rizal, I want to bring you back in to talk about financial mechanisms to support smallholders. Um, what might be the ways of encouraging governments or international companies or organizations to support smallholders in, in their efforts to become compliant, but also to support the overarching aims of the EUDR on deforestation, on sustainability, for the countries involved, for economic success, as well as for protecting smallholders? Uh, yes, uh, I think, as I said, uh, the smallholders uh, need uh, support uh, some resources, including finance, including the know-how, how to also uh, give uh, the knowledge on best practices, 
on the good agriculture to increase the yield that definitely will uh, improving uh, the the living uh, life living of uh, this uh, household uh, in 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 the suburban so i think uh, the support from the respective government it is very important while to ensure the smallholders will be still part of the supply chain that also will be very very important and to do this i think uh, cannot be only done by the producing countryside because i think if we have a, like uh, to have a very basic questions why there is uh, any countries to export their commodity because there is a demand in the consuming countries if there is no demand there is no export so how to maintain this trading how to ensure the supply for the consuming uh, country will be still ongoing it will not be disrupted the supply so that's why to establish the whole supply chains starting from the farmers the industry to the mills to the operators to the traders uh, to the uh, port of entry would be very very important so i think uh, currently the digital platform that has been now developed in the uh, respective producing country malaysia indonesia as part of the uh, publicly available for digital platform as well as also it is available privately many uh, private company has been developing this kind of uh, digital platform platform that can serve the as the traceability tools but now as i said we want to link we want to connect the supply chains in the producing countries with the consuming countries so let us work together in elaborating and also uh, establishing this traceability tools because we cannot only finish until the supply side when the shipping is goes to the consuming countries when it is entered the port of entry then we need to fulfill all the documents all the information it is provided by required by the udr what are the documents underlying to prove the land legality of the uh, for example uh, the, the palm oil as well as also whether it is meeting the cut off date uh, planted uh, before december 2020 or also the information on the geolocation to ensure that uh, this plan is uh, located in the free of deforestation so all these things need to be established together not only the producing countries but we need to work together with the consuming countries as well thank you data id let me put the same sort of question to you what sort of financial mechanisms are needed or financial or resource investment is needed to help those smallholders in countries that depend on them economically can comply? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, a government, be it government or be it from the industry, I think we need to help the uh, smallholders. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, in Malaysia, we have quite a number of uh, assistance that we provide to smallholders, like 
you know, training uh, the capacity building for the smallholders. We do have a special agency to uh, take care uh, the development of the smallholders. So we provide them with all the, you know, the needful, uh, especially with regard to certification, because we know that certification is very, very important. And certification also being a mandatory in, in the Malaysia, uh, uh, you know, we call it a MSPO, as you all aware. And uh, it's not only that, uh, we also uh, provide with the research and development, you know, why? Because we need to improve the productivity, you know. So uh, I think that is some kind of um, uh, assistance or focus from the government, especially to help this group. And uh, I think we are, uh, I believe we are Malaysia on the right path uh, to help these uh, smallholders to comply with all the uh, regulation that is going to be implemented, you know, uh, by you know, next year. But again, uh, if we have some kind of, you know, the, the, the timing, uh, if, you know, if there is still a room for what they call it negotiation, especially for this, uh, this group, we are very much uh, welcome. And uh, of course, we keep on uh, helping them. Uh, we'll do our best uh, to comply. And uh, let's see, uh, you know, we have another 12 months to go. I think that's, uh, that's my uh, uh, input on this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, time is of the essence. Um, Astrid, it will come as no surprise that I have quite a few specific questions coming in to the European Commission. Um, straightforward one first, what is the state of the country benchmarking process and how are third countries involved? <laughs> so um, where we are at the, at the benchmarking exercise is that we are um, tendering. So we are, we are looking to, to basically find um, contractors that can help us do a lot of data work. This is going to be an, an exercise that will require um, a lot of data analysis and, and collection of valid data and so on. And as soon as we have more news on the benchmarking, this is of course something that we will make publicly available. We will continue as we have done um, uh, in the whole build-up this proposal in the years that that uh, preceded the coming forward with the proposal as i said there was this multi-stakeholder platform and that multi-stakeholder platform where for example both indonesia and malaysia are always welcome to join and often joined actively um, in that platform we will also be discussing when we have new progress not everybody can can be on this platform because uh, it it's an expert group so there's a limitation on on how big the platform can be but what we take a lot of care to do is that every time we have had a, a platform meeting we release the minutes all the presentations and all the content of what is being discussed in the platform as soon as possible after the meeting is over is there a schedule on when there will be a draft or proposal for uh, this benchmarking. benchmarking, no. Okay. <laughs> Watch this space, as they say. <laughs> um, 
Another question, how will confidential information from palm oil producers be managed to prevent the sharing of sensitive trade information with success, uh, stakeholders? Yeah, no, that's an important question, data protection overall. So, so one of the, the things we didn't have time to, to elaborate on in this seminar, but is of great interest to many, is this information system that we are building. So this will be an EU information system this is the place where the operators putting the commodities on the EU market will be uploading their due diligence statements. So these are the private operators uploading their due diligence statements. This system will be protected by the EU data protection rules. So that also means that uh, any sensitive company data uh, will be protected and information from that system will only be, be published anonymized um, in case we, we find it interesting for, for the general public to know uh, big trends. I think this, we will only have a more clear idea after some years of filling the system with information and data of uh, what are the types of, of reports we might want to release of general interest. Another question specifically um, is asking if a company's primary business area is not related to the commodities in scope in the regulation, but the company just occasionally and in small quantities does place some of these market some of these commodities on the market, does it mean that the company should also exercise due diligence for these singular products? So what's the scope in terms of if it's only an occasional use? I mean here any company that uh, that thinks it may be concerned with 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 using and placing on the EU market anything that is in the annex of the regulation, they would need to to uh, to look at the regulation and the annex. And the annex sets out not only the commodities that you you mentioned in the beginning, beef, palm oil, etc., but there are also a list of the derived products. So it will be very important for any company to have a look at that list to see whether the scope also um, includes their activities. Thank you, Astrid. Uh, I know there's always a lot of questions. Um, but I'd like to do a final round for everyone and ask you all whether there are certain programs or budgets or measures that you would like to see implemented by the EU or by whomever, whether that be training to smallholder farmers that you think might be really useful in the coming years in order to get us ready and where you would place the emphasis on what needs to be done. Essentially, if you had a magic wand, what would you wish for? Um, I'm going to start uh, uh, remotely, I think very much. Dato Zaidi, what's your wish for what might be deliverable to get us ready for this uh, regulation? Well, my wish is always being, um uh, transparent dialogue. Uh, how do we resolve this? But of course, any assistance uh, provided by the EU, I suppose, is very much welcome because our economy is not that big. Our budget is not that big. You know, we help the smallholders, but if we can get, you know, assistance from others, I think that would be great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, no one ever says no to uh, assistance or resources. Um, Musalifa, what would you like to see more of 
particularly from the EU side, do you like more training, more certification, more technology systems? What is it that if you had it, you feel would make a real difference? I think uh, the most important for us with EU is transparency, communication, understand what we have, what, what we can provide, and then also uh, the EU can provide for us what is the, how to meet all the, all the system that you need this and we can provide some kind like this and how we can develop the bridge together that all the system in our country can be done because we have our own regulation, our own system and at least all the, 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 the EU uh, EUDR has been already there so how we can meet and we hope that with you we can build a kind of communication in terms for the assistant and our IT so we can look we we already start to develop so to make it so let's work together to de develop the system and also to look how far our system can uh, can meet with all the the the, the requirement uh, in UDR because we don't want to start from zero <laughs> We, we would let, we have this, and if you still doubt with all our system, let's work together to improve. Thank you. Thank you. Here, same question to you, but I know Solidaridad works globally, so if you need to pull out different parts of, of the uh, world for attention, please do so. Well, two things I want to say then. First is there is a lot of talk about the larger products and the larger countries, uh, like, uh, uh, Ghana and Ivory Coast for uh, uh, for cocoa or Brazil for soy, um, but part of my major concern is about some of the smaller countries that are, let's say, less in the focus. And and uh, I had an exchange with with uh, some people in in uh, cooperatives in Sierra Leone also providing cocoa. They didn't know anything about it, and it was. Uh, so I think there is still quite a lot of smaller countries and products that also includes leather from India, for instance. We import 100 million hides and leather from India. How on earth are they going to work on, uh, on traceability for hides from India? So I think there is a lot of smaller countries and smaller products that also need attention. That's one. And second, there is an article 30 in the regulation talking about partnerships. and and. That says that these partnerships between Europe, member states and producing countries should focus on two things. One is working together on meeting the requirements for the regulation. But second, and I think that is maybe even more important, to work together on addressing what are the root causes of deforestation. And I think we should talk a lot more about that, which is poverty, which is poor governance, uh, which is lack of capacity. And I think that is, in the end, where everything started, starts and then comes compliance. And we should avoid that we only talk about compliance and not about what are the real root causes that we want to address. Thank you. Mizal. Yes. Uh, I think the joint task force is already on the right direction because I think uh, we agreed uh, all parties uh, to focus on five work stream, which is uh, essentially covering all of the concerns that uh, we have been discussed so far, which is first on the smallholders, farmers, 
inclusion. Second, on the effort that has been made by the producing countries in developing national certification scheme. We have MSPO, we have ISPO, and some other certification scheme as well. The third one is traceability tools that uh, we are uh, uh, discussing uh, just now. The fourth one is the country benchmarking that uh, explained by Astrid. And the last issue is in the protection of uh, privacy data. So what I wish as the Secretariat of uh, CPOPC is to, we need to intensify our meeting. We need to accelerate the works under this five work stream because I think not much time is in front of us, although 14 months uh, left to go. But I heard from the industry, they are expecting when they are uh, hoping their shipping will be arrived in January 2025 when the time of the EUDR will be implemented. They need six months before shipping their products to ensure that uh, their commodity will be comply with the EUDR. So they are not going to send the commodity without uh, meeting the compliance of the EUDR, meaning that uh, by mid of next year, so, which is eight months uh, to go, some clearance on the uh, UDR, whatever the traceability tools will be in place, we need to get this clarity, we need to get uh, this assurance to ensure that the, the smooth supply of the palm oil, the smooth supply of the commodity, cocoa and so on, will be meeting uh, the industry in the consuming countries. So I think that's uh, really uh, my hope. Thank you. Thank you, Rizal. Astrid, it's a little bit of a wish list. I know you're not Santa Claus. You're going to give us all of these. Um, so I'll put a slightly different final question to you. Irene Benito has asked you to speak a little bit more about the programmes and budgets from the EU to support exporting countries. Some of those things that may go towards answering these wish lists. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And I think indeed that is also a very important part of the regulation is this cooperation with, with the partner countries. And I think there we are also not only looking at existing programs we're running. So for example, we had some existing projects with Indonesia, something called the Kami project. We looked at how can we actually use that to already start um, exploring and doing some of what we need to do. At the same time, of course, we are also looking, uh, this is a joint thing, it's not only the European Commission, but it's also very much our member state that play a key role in, in many of the producing countries in, in cooperation there. And so we are looking uh, at uh, taking a Team Europe approach on how we could really set up uh, funding and support tools to facilitate that the, that the regulation will be get gently on, on the ground. So I think a lot is going on there, but I, I, I do want to, to say that I think, and, and today shows that very much, I appreciate it a lot, the colleagues coming from Indonesia and Malaysia, we have had very helpful meetings today, and I think our deepening of the dialogue and our understanding of the specifics is important. 
not only for Indonesia and Malaysia, but also to take some of those learning points back and look at them. And as Geert says, also to look at are the problems similar in other countries, are the challenges, and how do we overcome them uh, together? Well, thank you very much, Astrid. And indeed, thank you to all our panelists in person and online. Thank you very much to you, the audience, for your great questions. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion. And indeed, if you have, please keep following the hashtag EA Debates for more Euractive events. Have a great evening.